What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. Uh, there were a couple of pretty interesting things in the news this week. Um, let's talk first about the Final Fantasy VII Symphonic Reunion. This is this is big news. It doesn't sound like big news, but this is really big news. In actuality, it is. Yeah. Alright, I'm just going to read what the article says. It says, like Kingdom Hearts before it, a new Final Fantasy VII official concert has been announced. The show will premiere at the Hollywood Dolby Theater in Los Angeles on June 9th, just in time for E3. That's the part that makes it interesting. Like two days before E3 starts, or before their press conference, something like that. Titled Final Fantasy VII, A Symphonic Reunion, it will feature a massive orchestra with over 100 musicians. That's a, that's a huge orchestra. That's really big. Yes, that's very expensive. <laughs> and behind it all will be a big HD video projection of the game during its key moments. Arnie Roth will conduct, as usual, who served as a head during many Final Fantasy concerts, including Distant Worlds, music from Final Fantasy, Dear mm. Friends, music from Final Fantasy, and Voices, music from Final Fantasy. Roth is a Grammy award-winning artist who reportedly loves to work with video game music. Finally, pre-sale tickets for the show will be available starting April 20th. They'll cost $77.77 and can be purchased here. (laughs) Very clever, very clever. Lots of sevens. No, what's really funny is that according to, no, um, what, second-hand, or, well, first-hand witnesses, I guess, according to what people say when they um, attended the Final Fantasy VII themed con- concerts like last year. Nobuo Matsu said something about how the game was supposed to come out last year. Mm-hmm. And that's why they were doing these concerts. So they didn't cancel the concerts, but they definitely postponed the game. Uh, but the fact that it seems like they were going to use concerts, they were going to use the musical um, stadiums and the stuff that they had uh, booked out at the time to promote Final Fantasy VII. So the fact that they've kind of got this musical event happening right before E3 that's going to be based uh, around Final Fantasy VII means they're probably taking a lot of that promotional material that they couldn't use in 2018, and they're packing it right into this uh, concert here this year. So that's, yeah. that's a, it's a big there deal. Were, there were some rumors suggesting that there was going to be a reveal of some kind for the remake in April, but it appears yeah. as if that's not going to happen. And this suggests to yeah. me that the big re-reveal of ff7 remake will be at e3 and i I think they just figured why not like it's been years it's been like four years since they revealed it yeah it's been right or five a long time or four and they're like let's just make this a big like let's just make this an e3 kind of thing like i i I think it's uh, i think it's pretty smart so they've got a really big (laughs) opportunity here uh, Collins says they're going to show footage of the Advent Children mod in the background. Yeah, yes, of course. <laughs> the original game with the Advent Children mod. This is the remake now. <laughs> uh, anyways, so interesting. Uh, part of me kind of wants to go, but I don't know. They're probably all sold out by now. It said April 20th. What's now? It's the 21st. Let me see if you can purchase this now. Can't be purchased. Yeah, check it out. $77 isn't like that bad for this no. kind of a show, especially think... at E3 in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's not that reunion. bad. Okay. June, okay, June 9th at 6 p.m. Oh, I guess that's the only show. Okay, here's 77. Mm-hmm. Are those sold out yet? This product is no longer in stock. Sold out. <laughs> 
probably about, was the case about 12 minutes after they started selling it. The the more expensive seats are still available. Oh, the, of course. The $129 ones are still there. Hmm. So, if you're going if you want to go to this, oh, the 109s are still available too. So there's the more expensive seats are still available if you're interested. Uh, go quickly because I think it'll sell out quick. I think it's pretty obvious they're gonna possibly reveal FF7 remake around there. All right, yeah. let's talk about the PlayStation Five. Did you see that uh, they released some details, official details on the PlayStation Five this week? I did. I did. Uh, for the most part, people seem pretty happy, but some of the rumors seem not to quite um, be uh, real. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> But think, it, at the very least, it will. It seems like it will be backwards compatible with PS4, which is a big deal, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, I think Mark Cerny did an interview, um, and according to Dreamcast guy, I think is where I initially heard this. He he was suspecting that it was because um, Xbox was going to be revealing something, and so they were wanting to yeah. get ahead of the curve a little bit. Because I don't think this is going to be out in 2019 or anything like that. I, that's what I think what so, we learned. It's not, it's not planned for release this year. So they, I think that um, there's a possibility, or at least I've heard there's a possibility the next Xbox might be revealed at like E3 this year yes. or something. There and was so, also a rumor about the, a new Nintendo Switch. And this yeah. is kind of funny because the after the PS5 was, I can't remember exactly who said this, but after it was determined that the PS5 will likely not launch this year, about a week later, I heard this another leak that Nintendo had just scrapped their um, Switch Pro type plans or oh. one of the plans for the new Switch. Yeah, that they were kind of good. I think that they were really, if the PS5 came out that year, they were going to put out a new Switch. If not, they were like, hey, we don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, did just you see timing's the, pretty coincidental. Did you see the image that was apparently leaked from like a factory? where the, the mini switches are being produced. It's like I don't really think small. I saw that. Here, I'll see if I can find an image of it. Switch mini. Yeah, but you heard the same thing too. It's not, it's scrapped. They're not actually going to do it anymore. I I hadn't heard that, but... Okay. Uh... It, it's just a rumor. I don't, we probably shouldn't even be talking about it because I don't, who knows, <laughs> but... Nintendo. It seems like all the three, Nintendo, Microsoft, Sony, they're all, uh, they all have big new console plans. Coming Dang up it. real soon. Anyways, Dreamcast guy has a video on it too. You can see the image there. It's like a person apparently like holding it, and it's really small. But yeah, uh. nothing confirmed there. However, uh, Cerny told Wired that he believes we will be able to release the system at an SRP that will be appealing to gamers. I guess he's saying price. No, oh, um, yeah. in light of its advanced feature set. Um, where are some quotes here? The the specs. Mark Cerny actually divulged quite a bit about what will be under the hood of the PS5 in terms of specs. With an AMD chip at its core, the CPU is created from AMD's Ryzen line, third generation, with eight cores of SNM Zen 2 microarchitecture. The chip Mm. also includes a custom unit of 3D audio. That was one of the big things Mm. they talked about was increasing the audio capabilities because they were like, oh, ever since the jump from the PS2 to the PS3, we haven't really like seen like audio has been basically the same ever since then, and that's something it's they want to they want to jump up in the next. Well, one. that's probably the next um, 
what the next point of immersion in terms of they're pushing their VR headset stuff. It seems like they're really yeah. banking on this taking off a lot at some point, more than it has so far. Um, and one of the great like methods that artists use to immerse people in video games and movies is the sound. So if you can, if they can upgrade their sound capabilities and especially having something, I know most games support something like a 5.1 surround sound, but um, something better, I guess, that can really immerse people more, uh, not just the visual element, but the audio element too. I think that would be pretty sweet. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds really exciting to me. Um, Yeah. I'm a big sound guy. uh, So Sound in a lot of ways is is deceptive because when it's really good, you don't notice it. <laughs> yeah, it's but true. when it's when it's also really good, you're also like way more. But without it, I guess I should say, it just it's the illusion's completely broken. Bad sound yeah. really ruins it, and good sound yep. you don't notice, which is how it's supposed to be. But um, let's see. It goes on to say. The system also won't abandon physical media, which is a big thing in light of what Xbox just announced, but we'll get into that in a minute. Yes. So yes. it won't it won't be download-only console, according to Wired. The biggest in, uh, inclusion, according to Cerny's description, will be the inclusion of a specialized solid-state drive. Yeah, that's a big deal. One that Cerny told Wired has a raw bandwidth higher than any SSD available for PCs. Now, the, the big reason for this is because they want to eliminate load times as much as possible with the ps5 um they i think that uh, they were talking about how fast traveling or just trying to open the game takes so long now a lot of people are annoyed by that i know i am yes so they're they're trying to eliminate as much as possible having to sit there and wait for a loading screen so really fast solid state drive will do that yep um Cerny is aiming to demonstrate that the PS5's SSD will allow for a new level of speed and performance. Cerny highlighted these capabilities to Wired by playing Marvel's Spider-Man on a PS4 Pro, which had a 15-second load time for fast travel. Cerny then demonstrated that the same load time on a dev kit, which reportedly was a low-speed version, it only took 0.8 seconds. That's a huge jump from Whoa. 15 seconds to less than one second on a Holy cow. on what is apparently a low-speed version of the PS5's dev kit. So... That's pretty impressive. Uh, the PS5 will also support 8K gaming, but the demonstrations Wired saw were on a 4K TV. Now, this, I think, is overkill. Yes, very much so. Um, although, although, I think I know why. So, if you have something along the lines of um, an Oculus Rift, right? Oh, sure. Well, a PSVR you have separate screens for each eye that give you separate perspective that make gives the illusion of 3D, right? And those have to be rendered separately. And if you can, I think they need 8K so that each, um, what, each eye can see 4K, if that makes any sense. So yeah. I don't know. There may be something there, why they're but doing that. They're trying to get it to perform better for VR purposes. For VR. I, I think Could so be. much of this stuff is geared towards VR. Because 8K TVs, I don't know. I, don't know. You, I was actually watching If anyone's something. thinking of buying one, don't. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was just watching something the other day on 8K TVs that are kind of like now higher, like higher end trade shows and stuff. They're kind of showing them off. They're starting to roll them out. And it's like, I remember um, we had some debates with people when Landon made that video about how 4k 
even 4K, it's hard to tell the difference unless you're sitting close. Yeah, unless you you're large, close. Yeah, there's an optimal distance. Yeah. Right. If you're if you're sitting more than like eight or ten feet back from the TV, you're actually not going to be able to tell the difference unless the the screen size is up in the 70, 80 inches range. Right. If you're yeah, closer yeah. than that, then you'll definitely see it. But now moving from 4K to 8K, you need again probably about an 80 inch display, and you need to sit pretty close before you would really discern a difference. Yeah. And you so, shouldn't sit that close to a TV. No. <laughs> and getting a display that large is just uh, unreasonable for most people's yeah. setups. Um, like even like a 65 inch, which is a pretty large display, the difference between 4k and 8k would be almost indiscernible. Yeah. So, but, but you're right. It would make a huge difference for VR. VR yeah. is where having a, the higher resolution right up there on your eyes is important. <laughs> it actually so, would make a little bit of sense. And it's not 8K, you know, it's two 4Ks technically, but mm -hmm. it does make sense. I just, you know, that's their, it's their choice to go that way with the console. I don't know that they need to, but at least it means they have a pretty good video card. So, um, Backwards compatibility as the last part of this was huge. Yeah. PS4 and PS4 Pro owners, your PS5 will be backward compatible with PS4 games. Yep. So they have confirmed that it will be backwards compatible with PS4, which is huge. Yeah, That's, that's huge. There were some people saying that the rumor was that it was going to be backwards compatible with all PlayStation games. Yeah, that's where it's like, well, I don't okay, know about that, that rumor doesn't appear to be the case. If that's true, that's a day one purchase. If it's true, I don't. It could cost eight hundred bucks, and we'll probably if, still get it. Because I would buy it immediately, no matter how expensive it is. If that was true, it probably won't be that much, but still, that would that would greatly increase the value. But it seems as though they've only really confirmed confirmed the PS4. It, it's possible that they were testing some prototypes for laser readers that could switch out, and it would just be a huge pain to uh, create a console that could read all of the former discs and stuff, and that. Mm -hmm. Probably the PS6 is going to be discless also without any physical media. So I don't yeah. think it's ever going to happen, unfortunately. But yeah, that would be crazy. At least it's backwards compatible with the 4. Even, even it being backwards compatible with the PS4, that just off the bat makes it more appealing as well. Because, mm. well, you, you can buy a PlayStation 5. Let's say its lineup isn't like gigantic at launch, but there's like one or two games you're really interested in. A lot of people say, well, I'll just wait to buy that because I'm going to wait for the library to grow. Yeah. Cause a lot of people will try and like trade in their old console to like, you know, lessen the amount they got to spend in cash on the day that they buy the new one. So if you're going to trade in your PS4 to get PS5, if it's backwards compatible, you can still play all your PlayStation four games or buy PlayStation 4 games you haven't got yet or whatever and still That's play true. that on the new console. So yep. even still, I just hesitate to buy something on a launch day because they're going to have mm -hmm. a better version of it in two years. I know, you just wait a little bit. Yeah. So they better have like the only exception is if they had something I like had to have right away. Like if Final Fantasy 7 Remake or something <sighs> was only going to be on the PlayStation 5. Yeah, but they probably won't be. It's going to be on the PC. Yeah, eventually. they won't sell very much off the bat if they do that. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I, I it'll be interesting to see. But 
the backwards compatibility definitely makes it more appealing to buy right off the bat. Yeah, I think so. But, anyways, interesting stuff. Uh, hopefully we'll hear more about that E3, maybe. Um, just real quickly, I'm just going to go through this really fast. This is uh, yeah, Xbox One SAD. <laughs> I have no idea what they're thinking. It's, I know. <laughs> it's oh, supposed to be Xbox One S, all digital edition. Yeah. So I don't know why they didn't just make it Xbox One S with like a hyphen A D or some separate that somehow, but they 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 put it all together. I'll just show it on the screen. Or just S D. Well, that gives sad. X, you know, just I mean, you have to understand people are going to start memeing that immediately, yeah. especially with something that's not going to be popular with core gamers, which is a digital only version of the console. So you can't play your physical media in it. So I guess they wouldn't be aiming to sell this to anybody who has currently or at any point in this generation owned an Xbox One. Because if you bought any games, like physical copies of a game, you wouldn't even be able to play them on this. So they're trying to sell people who haven't bought one yet. I don't know. I just think that people are really wary of anything that is digital only that you can't yeah. like, buy the physical copy and put a disc you don't in there. own it's it choice it, yeah at some point your your whole that whole console you spend however much on will be obsolete because they won't i don't know they could just take away all of your digital stuff at any point it says here supporting it. xbox announced that xbox live gold and game pass are now getting bundled together for a lower price called xbox game pass ultimate that costs 15 dollars a month this bundle includes access to free games every month as well as Xbox Live Gold subscription. Microsoft also announced an all-digital Xbox One S coming May 7th that will cost 250 So I think that's supposed to be like three or $50 less than the normal price. But yeah. Xbox, One, Xbox Ones are always on sale because... Like if you just go to <laughs> a lot, you go to your like local stores where you buy them, and they're often like discounted. So it's not yeah. even that much less than the normal one. Yeah, I know. It's like you may as well just get one that you can have, you can own games for if you want to. You know, the all digital edition will come with Minecraft, Forza Three, Sea of Thieves, and a special offer for Xbox Game Pass. So it comes with well, a couple games. If, if you want to play those games, then that that may be something to look into. Anyways. Not interested in that. <laughs> Not actually. Not when the PS5 <laughs> made their huge announcement. It's like, yeah, I'm going to save my money and I'll get one of those. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Xbox. Uh, anyways, uh, that's it for the the news from this week. Really excited okay. about the PlayStation 5 and we're f we the news for FF7 Remake is on the horizon. We can get stoked for how upset we'll be by it come June 11th or whatever. Yeah, don't get too hyped. <laughs> it's exciting, it's awesome, it's fun, but, you know, we have no idea what it's going to be. We really just don't. Nobody does. Okay. Um, so our main topic today is telling the story, or telling a story, yeah. without words. Now, I think the reason that I wanted to talk about this well, originally when we included it as a podcast topic, but then again recently, the reason it stuck out to me while we're looking over it, it's because I was um, 
I, I, I'm working on this novel and I was doing some editing on a chapter and I felt like, holy crap, I'm really, really like overwriting this dialogue here. Mm. Um, like I was reading the dialogue. It's just like they're, they're just, they're saying everything that they are thinking. You know, there's not, right. I, I'm, I'm struggling to know how to start this. What I'm trying to say is, is that communication, you've probably heard this. It's not exactly true in the strictest sense. Like every situation is different when we're communicating. But there have been studies that say that communication is like between 60 and 90 percent nonverbal. It's it's in our tone of voice, in our um, in our body language, in our facial expression context there's all kinds of things that apply meaning to what we say beyond just the the base language that we use just the words and i think that like as writers sometimes we tend to want to show how clever we are (laughs) yeah i think (laughs) we try to think of the go ahead yeah well you you watch movies you you (laughs) You watch movies written by people like Aaron Sorkin mm-hmm. and you just, you want, you wish you were that witty and you, <laughs> you're sitting there writing. You've got days, weeks, months, years to, to find out some way of making something sound witty. But the way Sorkin does it is just different. And it's, I don't know, he pulls it off through using a lot more subtext than you realize, I guess. Yeah. And anyways, there's a tendency, I think sometimes because especially in the form, if you're if you're writing, um, I don't know, anything that's not paired with a visual. So you're doing a short story or a novel or something like that. There's this tendency to there's this context I want to give, but I don't have a, 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 an actor or something who can like express it non-verbally. True. So yeah. you you tend to start relying too much on words, and so what I what I try to do when I see myself doing this is I try to go and watch uh, stories or, or play through games that don't have any words in them at all. Like this week I played through Journey again. Ah, um, uh, yes, yes. Uh, Hyperlight Drifter. Hyperlight Drifter we talked about, yeah. Um, there's just a lot of examples. And, and Pixar, I love Pixar's little short yes. that they put in front of their major um feature films mm-hmm. those are great examples of telling stories and they almost never have any dialogue almost never yeah um also the movie yeah. wally comes to mind yeah. i know that the whole film isn't completely i mean there is talking especially in the second half but wally was gonna is my big example for how to tell a story without words it's yeah, it's an interesting people. it's an interesting exercise to try and step back and say what can I, what ideas and, and emotions and, and uh, what can I express clearly without using words? Um, I guess another, let's just start here. Yeah. <laughs> I want to kind of show this off because this is an example, oh, a really yes. good example, I feel, <laughs> of somebody who is yeah. trying too hard as a writer to be clever. But it doesn't. It doesn't feel natural. This is a scene from Smallville. Uh, let me just play it for a second. I'll pause it once in a while. Hey, yeah, it's pretty wonderful. 
What's the latest headline? Busy writing story. Looks like someone woke up on the right side of the bed this morning. Okay, so right there at the beginning, kind of a... I can believe it when she's like, oh, it looks like someone woke up on the right side of the bed this morning. She's, she's a smart girl. She's clever. She's witty, you know. And so she's like, oh, you know, she's being sarcastic when she says that, right? That's fine. At least I woke up in my own bed. At least I woke up in my own bed. She's been thinking about this. She's seething. She's upset at her for having a relationship or an affair. I can believe that, too. She's probably been practicing in her mind, like, oh, what yeah, she's going yeah. to say. You know what I mean? Her but back. watch. This, this will last for a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. naturally but soon just just watch all the puns and like the metaphors they use it's just crazy what's that supposed to mean i told you i was working on a story a story about a reporter and her editor getting an exclusive between the sheets <laughs> getting an exclusive between the sheets like <laughs> it's just so practiced i feel someone thought about that line when they wrote it it's not something that comes off the top of your head, especially when you're in emotion, in an emotional Chloe, state. I right? know you're impulsive, low, but yeah. come on. It wasn't an impulse. It's not like I did a double gainer blindly off a cliff. Maybe not. <laughs> oh my gosh, that line right there. So, I know you're impulsive, but come on. She's like, I'm not, it wasn't impulsive. It's not like I did a double gainer off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Who pulls that out just off the... You're in an emotional situation. The person's upset at you. You're trying to, like, talk to them. And you're going to pull puns slash, like, metaphors like that off the top of your... I don't think so, right? Don't be surprised if you pancake faster than you think. I mean, of all... Don't be surprised if you pancake faster than you think is the reply. All the people in the world you had to end up with your editor. Okay, so I strayed into the minefield of misguided romance again. <laughs> okay, so I strayed into the minefield of of, of uh, bad romance or whatever she said there. Like, again, it's just absurd. It nothing to do with me getting the yeah. job or getting ahead. Hold on, one more. I think. You don't believe me, do you? I do believe you. The problem is, will anyone else, Lois? Gossip spreads faster than a bad rash, and sooner or later, people. <laughs> Gossip spreads faster than a bad rash. Okay, anyways, I think you get the idea. It just goes yes. on and on like that. Yes, the puns and metaphors and the well-thought-out comebacks and all just that. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Zing, zing, zingers, just back and forth all the time. Yeah. So, okay, so why doesn't this work, right? First of all, not only is it not really that funny <laughs> or well-written, right. but it's storytelling, I think, more than anything else. As a storyteller what's the most important thing to have is an obser a strong, like real observation of how people act. Like you need to have a good understanding of realistically the way that people talk to each other. Otherwise you're going to write stuff like that. <laughs> and it's, it's absolutely weird and awkward and not natural nobody talks like that in real life nobody right? does well <clears throat> some t every now and then you'll find somebody who's like that but it would be someone like um stephen colbert or christopher hitchens or like like, <laughs> like people who are just unbelievably smart and witty but that's not who these characters necessarily are. And right. somehow in the show Smallville, which I have seen like five seasons of that show, I used to watch it back in the day. 
every character is like this. They are all just so insanely witty and have these quick comebacks every single time. And it is really obnoxious. Yeah. And no, because you never get that many people like that at once ever. It's just no. And, and we don't rely naturally on words as much as we do on how we're expressing the words to communicate to each other. We use nonverbal communication more to get the point across than we do words. You know, people, people don't talk unless they have to in a lot of instances, right? Like if, if Mm. somebody asks you a question or to do something, you can, if a look or a shrug of the shoulders or a simple one word answer will suffice, uh, often that's what people will do. They, they don't, you know, always speak everything out plainly. Like there's a lot Mm -hmm. that people can infer just from looking at somebody. Absolutely. Um, Faze Vania says how often I've come up with a witty response three hours later. Yeah. The jerk store moment. Exactly. (laughs) That's that's it. That's, that's how it is for most people, right? Like you think about it and then you come up with something. And so when a writer, when a writer sitting down there and doing that, they're literally taking the three hours to write the scene out. Right. And to think of the cleverest thing they can possibly think of that's going to come across like it's not very natural. And this is why I love, uh, you know, like the video that I did on dialogue where I was examining the Coen brothers. Right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They write in ums and uhs and awkward pauses and, and they allow the actor to express how they feel through their body language through their tone of voice instead of trying to dictate that in the words in the script that they've written like they were trying to do in that smallville scene there Uh. (laughs) yes you know what's funny though this isn't just smallville this is a lot of movies that i watch nowadays um this is a lot of specifically superhero movies or like with the avengers or you've got your your uh, your Captain America, who's super witty with Thor, and then you've got your Tony Stark, who's just got all the clever comebacks, and these movies do it a lot, and it, it's something that's really started, especially recently. It's something that's really become really bothersome to me. Uh, Chai Guy says, "Good writing doesn't need to be one hundred percent natural." Yeah. Um, yes, I, and I'm not making the case that it should be. What I'm saying is is that because it is true, and, and we've talked about this a lot in the past, how natural conversations derail all yeah. the time. People cut each other off and interrupt each other. We talked a lot about this when we were reading Crime and Punishment. Yeah, by the yeah. Way. that's true. Yes. Because that um, book, it's mostly that. This off-the-rails kind of, you know, detour yeah. conversations. People's thoughts wander. Something comes into their mind, and they go, oh, yeah, I forgot I wanted to tell you this, and they just change yeah. directions. When you're telling a story, you need to be, you need to have it moving forward. You can't just like, I'm not saying you can't, but generally you don't want to have non sequiturs totally take us in a different direction for 10 minutes and then get back on point and move forward with the story again. You want a little bit of it in there for the sake of it feeling natural. This is what I feel the Coen brothers do really well. They have all of that in there, but... It's, it feels like it's a non sequitur. It feels like it's an interruption or it feels like it's, it shouldn't like this doesn't relate, but they still almost always use those moments as a setup for something later. 
great example of that mm. in Burn After Reading is they're mm. having a, a dinner conversation or a, it's like a party, a bunch of people are over. And he keeps talking about how in his 20 years of service as a marshal, he's never discharged his weapon. He yeah. brings that up kind of randomly. And it's like, well, what's the point of that dialogue? Um, but you're seeing in his nonverbal communication how fidgety and nervous he is mm. and how not confident he is. But he's trying to give off this appearance as if he's this cool, under pressure, like totally like rock solid marshal. I've never discharged my weapon in 20 years. Like I, I'm totally cool under pressure. But yeah. it's clear through his his nonverbal communication that he's not. He's absolutely not that. He brings it up again later in a Denver conversation when he's when he's on a date with uh, this woman they're talking and he just yeah. randomly again randomly brings up I've in 20 years of service I've never discharged my weapon. Now, I'm not going to spoil what that sets up later cuz it's a very very kind of a pivotal thing in the movie, but you should watch the movie if you haven't and pay attention to the fact that all of these words and especially most importantly combined with the actor's performance. Yes. The nonverbal stuff is telling us more about the character than the words are. The words are telling us this. He's telling us something totally different in his mannerisms. And that is how people are. People try to put on appearances. They very often do not say what they mean. No. Um, they're uncomfortable or they feel like it's not appropriate to say it or uh, they don't want to upset anybody. There's a million reasons why people won't say what they're really thinking. Um, and so getting in touch with that and being observant about how are ways that we can communicate those messages without words, it, it becomes clear really quickly when you start paying attention to mannerisms, tone, and all these other things, even, even tools within storytelling like music, um, which camera angle that you choose, all of these other way, ways, these tools in your toolkit to express an idea without dialogue. Uh, it's it's really, really important to nail that so that you don't end up having to try and explain only through your words what's yeah. happening, what people feel. You know what I mean? Yeah. In fact, um, what's that? Uh, what's that? old-timey oil film with daniel day lewis oh um there will be blood there will be blood yeah, in that great movie example. okay probably the most creepy foreboding moment of that whole film is when he is in the he's at he's at a beach right and he's in the water mm-hmm. and he's just kind of like bobbing up and raising up and down in the water but he's staring and the camera kind of does a slow push on him and he's staring at a person mm-hmm. and we we have no idea necessarily what he's going to do or what he's truly capable of, but it is extremely um, unsettling, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have to say a word. In fact, that whole movie is a very good example of using camera work and um, you know subtext to understand exactly what these characters are, are actually thinking. Yeah. And no, very well done. Um. So I was talking about I, I played Journey this week. Oh yeah, because yeah. I remember because it, it had been a while. I don't think I had played it in about five years or something. Mm. And um, I just remembered feeling like the the game had this really strong story, but it's like mm. there's but obviously you need language to communicate like really complex 
concepts, right? Like when you're getting yeah. into deep philosophical stuff. Yeah, yeah. And language is definitely very, very helpful. But again, the expression of the idea, the the way a person feels about the idea is almost entirely presented with nonverbal mannerisms, tone, all these other things. I guess tone could be considered verbal. I don't know if it's necessarily, but you get what I mean. Without words, without the actual base language. Sure. Like, well, like No Country for Old Men when, when he's at the gas station and they're having this conversation, but what you're actually feeling underneath the conversation yes. is very different from the actual yes. conversation they're having. Right. And so there's a limit to what you can do with a plot when you're when you've chosen to say I'm going to have no dialogue at all. I'm going to have no words whatsoever. Yeah. You have to rely on visual storytelling. It's but yeah. it's it was amazing to me despite the fact that you can't necessarily do an extremely complex. I don't, don't want to say you can't. Maybe there are ways you could do it. But at least in this case they didn't. But mm. it's strongly metaphorical, I guess. It's there's a lot. It's very interpretive. There's a lot that you could take from it. And it was amazing to me. There's one scene in particular. And, and one of the cool things about Journey is that it has this very unobtrusive online feature where you can – another player will show up into the game and you can interact with each other. But it's it's – it's done in a way to where you almost don't notice it. Like all of a sudden yeah. a person will be there and then they might leave and they're, they're gone for a while. And then a new player might show up. And so there's this really cool scene where there are these murals along the way that you sort of unlock that give you like pictures and sort of like um, an idea of what's going on in this world. And there's a point where you, they, they, pull the camera out and they move it around the room like this kind of circular space where the mural is along the wall and it shows your journey up to that point basically mm -hmm. where you started and it, each time that another player came into your game during that section it'll have two of the the red cloaked people and then for a while i was alone again and then it shows me being alone and the, there's it is so hard to explain the feeling or the idea that is expressed there with music, with the camera. Because the, the, even the characters don't emote with their faces at all. But you feel the sense of awe, the character's feeling, by just how it's animating as it's looking around at these things. And you've, you feel the power of that music and you, the, the realization that these murals are accounting for your own journey up to this point, which you didn't realize before. It was just really poignant to me how a scene like that could be so emotionally resonant. And there could be so many ways to interpret the game's message about, is this a metaphor for life itself? You know, you go through life and people come into it for a yeah, the, the, I think as the saying goes, a season, a reason, or for a lifetime. You know, some people are there for a little bit and then they're not anymore. Mm -hmm. Some people will stay with you your entire life. Some people will end the journey with you sometimes, you know. Or it could just be a metaphor for any in, individual endeavor you go throughout your life. You start and you, you come across, um, you know, uh, obstacles that get in the way and, and dangerous things. And it seems like there's no hope, but you, like, you can, there's all kinds of things you can pull from it. And not a single word was uttered in the whole freaking game. And all of that meaning, all of that individual sort of like, all of those concepts and ideas could still be pulled from it. 
And I feel like in a lot of ways, it's more powerful when you do it that way. Um, essentially less is more with dialogue is the way that I tend to feel mm. that the more you have, the less you're relying on the more intuitive form of communication for us, which is emotion, expression in the face, tone of voice, body yeah. language. We look at that and we pull more from that than we do from people's words. You know, what's funny. There, there's, Probably a pretty good reason for that. Yeah. Um, humans haven't been capable of language until ah, something, I don't know, people guess somewhere around, what was it? Actually, 40, I don't know the number. 50, I thought it was around 50,000. Yeah, 50, I, think 50, I think it's 50,000 years. Because I, yeah, I did a video on... until more recent. But. I did a video, that video on music that I did write, and there, there's, there's research suggesting that music predates language. That, yeah. Uh, oh, really? We, well, that we actually were playing makes music sense. and singing and uh, you know using well, rhythm before sure, we were sure. using language. And you can even see that elsewhere in the animal kingdom. There are certain well, it's usually like mating rituals, but like dances and yeah. song. That oh, absolutely. Certain animals, lots of animals, especially reptiles and birds and stuff. But you know, even some mammals do in order to entice and to to a large extent that is what humans are doing when they're dancing um mm-hmm. there is some type of you know <clears throat> like sexual tension there i guess sure. when you're moving your hips and stuff but yeah the idea is how did humans humans communicate animals communicate they don't talk how did for the past you know three billion years of evolutionary history how did organisms communicate with other organisms well maybe it didn't happen much at the beginning part but at least in the last few hundred million years there have been ways that animals can just look at each other and know what mm-hmm. um, they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they want, what they want you from you, what you may want from them. And you can tell whether they've read you correctly or not based on what they do immediately after. And so there's all sorts of, and especially as humans begin evolving, there were like um, Steven Pinker, um, a big language psychologist over at Harvard. He's theorized that, um, there was probably some type of like primitive sign language that developed before uh, actual verbal speech, which would be something Mm -hmm. along the lines of pointing and the stuff that we actually do, like what I'm doing with my hands right now, what am I doing? I don't know, but this is just what you do when you talk. And there it was, it's probably some carryover from a very long time ago, uh, but certain things that you can do and certain inflections, like every single language in the world, if you're ending your sentence in a question, it rises in an uptone. It goes, Mm -hmm. huh? almost like a grunt, right? Every language does this. That is That points towards some type of commonality that happened amongst humans a long time ago. So point being, humans could communicate probably very well before language even existed. And so language exists now. We can communicate more complex ideas, but that's still not yet the primary mode of interaction between humans because we evolved all the way up to this point without that. Mm-hmm. And now we have it and it's great. And it's led to a lot of great technology, all the stuff we have, but most of the information you actually receive is through your eyes, not your ears. Yeah. Um, phase Vinia has something here that I want to read in just a second, but this kind of just leads me around to the point ultimately that I wanted to make with this is that when you are really observant, I mean, anyone who wants to try this, just try it. Like, go into regular conversations with people in your life and try to take note of how they use nonverbal communication and how much of that gives context to what they're actually saying. 
Mm. Like, if we just, and, and this is why what Phasevania says here, what do you feel is a good way to describe, no, describe nonverbal communication in text? That's why text is so difficult. That's why we created emojis and, and people use emojis in text messaging and like in, in their tweets <laughs> because mm, yes, it, 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 it informs <laughs> yeah. what the, the base sentence is really trying to say. Um, because without that, we misunderstand each other all the time. I can't mm. tell you how many times I type something in and the person goes, well, are you upset with me? It's like, why on earth would you think you're, I'm See, upset with you? You don't use emojis. We're like barely too old <laughs> for the emoji for when the emojis started showing up in text. We, we miss that. So we don't use those. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like if there if there isn't a facial expression or a, a tone of voice to accompany yeah. the sentence, a person could read the same words, but imagine that the person is upset. Yeah. And it would come across that way. Like, oh, why are you being so flat in how you're describing that? Like, are, are you are you impatient? Are you, uh, am I annoying you? Do you not want to talk to me? But really, it's like, I meant to say that with, as a joke. <laughs> and it was supposed to be funny. So, so much of, of what we intend to say is not actually... Mm-hmm. carried by the words we're using but by everything else that goes around it our performative yeah. art so to speak and this is this is why again okay getting back to phase vania's question here so how do you do that in a in a uh, non-visual medium if you if you're writing a novel right how do you express that you have to describe the facial expression and tone of voice with words <laughs> unfortunately is basically your only choice but yeah. instead of instead of having the character i don't know say i'm so freaking mad right now f you get away from me right you could have the character say all right fine but describe like the seething sort of like um mumbling way of describing how it was said right which yeah. is subtext now the person's words were i'm fine everything's okay but really they meant this and so in order to be able to do that effectively it requires a storyteller to be very observant about everything outside of words and how we communicate with each other in in seeing the common ways that people when they're feeling this way how they uh there's so much about that that's context. Let's say that the context is two friends that are upset with each other, that they're going to communicate very differently with very blunt words. Than, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Than a boss and uh, an employee. Mm. You can have the same emotions, but that conversation's not going to be the same between boss and employee as it will between two lifelong friends or something or two family members. So being observant about that and and watching the way watching what people say but paying more attention to how they say it or what what they express through their body language is really key to avoiding writing dialogue and writing scenes and that that were like smallville there where, where the the, yeah. the i feel like that that writer's goal was to try and be like Aaron Sorkin where yep. they just have these comebacks that are just they're so witty and these are smart girls and they're back and forth like that. You know, they're just, 
as if that's telling us something about the characters. But I, I think that the writer was more concerned or had a higher priority to write dialogue that he thought was smart than he was about making realistic observations of how people respond to this kind of tension and trying to present that believably and allow the actors to do the legwork there, not trying to on the nose describe exactly what each character thinks by just blankly stating it in the with these <laughs> puns back and forth in mm. metaphors that are just ridiculous. Yeah. So anyways, I think it's interesting and 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 uh, something I wanted to try and do this week and maybe next week too before I try to get back to like writing again is sort of immerse myself in in games uh, or, or films that that are that so effectively communicate a story. I love the short film before I don't remember which um which uh Pixar movie it comes before. Yeah. But it's the it's the old man playing chess with himself. Yes, that was that before one? Toy Story Two, I believe. Yeah, okay, Toy Story Two. Yeah, I believe that was it. It's so clever. No, no, that guy shows up in Toy Story Two. Maybe that was from A Bug's Life. Or something like that. Something right? like that. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> it's so clever because they use the camera as a large, large like storytelling um tool. Like a very it's it's very the camera is pivotal to that working because yeah. what they do is they set it up to where he's sitting there and he makes a move and he gets up very slowly very slowly yeah and he walks very slowly over here yeah. and then sits down and changes his expression as if he's a different character aha Man, he's surprised whoa yeah and there's one that. side that's very upward and happy and the expression is like ooh, like excited and the other one is sullen and almost like a sneering like, I'm going to get you type of a, an expression. Yeah. And they show that very clearly in the two separate places. But then they start cutting uh, with their, basically their, it's not over the shoulder, but um, their reverses. Yeah, yeah. Is what Just it's called. Reverse, reverse, yeah. reverse angles. And, and so they're not showing you him getting up and moving every time. Now it starts to play out as if they are just legitimately two characters looking at each other. And this is what's going on in the in the mind of the character, right? He's playing two parts and he's imagining this as if he's playing against another person. So we are now like in that character's perspective or point of view, which is just cutting straight back and forth. And then this guy, it is so brilliant and there's not a single word uttered in the whole thing. And you get like a whole storyline where then he like tricks him by pretending that he had a heart attack and he gets up and like switches the border or flips the board around and <laughs> yeah, is... he starts cheating. He starts <laughs> cheating against himself. Oh, it's so, so funny. funny. It's yeah. so clever. <laughs> and it, it needs not one word of spoken dialogue to work. Huh. And, and it tells you about the nature of an old man who's feeling lonely, but who yeah. is clever and funny. And at one time you can imagine what he must have been like in his youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows what's happened to him to put him in a situation where he's playing chess with himself at a park. But there's just so much you can learn from it and it's all done through nonverbal communication. Um, one that I saw most recently was, I forget the name of it, but it, it came before Incredibles 2. Did you see that one? I did see that one. So it's, it, it's an old woman. Uh, yes. And her, the and her the husband, Asian family, and, right? Yeah. And she makes yeah. a, like a pot sticker that comes to life and yeah, she sort of yeah. raises it as her own. 
And the whole thing serves as a metaphor for her trying to replace the emptiness. I mean, this was a really profound one. Yeah, this I thought it was very meaningful. Really, uh, she's trying to replace the emptiness she feels because she's had a falling out with her son. And so the little the little pot sticker, or it's not a pot sticker, it's a dumpling. That's essentially... Dumpling. Yeah, this sure, little sure, yeah. This little dumpling mm-hmm. grows up and has essentially the exact same experience where it, <laughs> in her imagination, the dumpling becomes estranged in the same way as her son did mm-hmm. and and she tries to be overbearing and overprotective and control it and and it's re, you know, its response is to reject her and and she feels the same emptiness of rejection but it was all it was all just this playing out in her mind just this need to be nurturing and to have something to give her love to and grow and and, and anyways, the son in the end comes back and they're reconciled and stuff. But man, what a brilliant and beautiful little short story that was, I, in my opinion, miles better than the actual movie I went to see. <laughs> yeah, actually. I, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. A lot of th- times that's the case, though. Those short um, stories are just really, really well done. And even Disney Animation has started, I think, putting those before their... Yeah, they're just Disney films. Like, I think before Moana. Is it before Moana or is it the other one? Um, There's the bird on the beach and it's like running out to like catch a shell. And oh, it's like the tiny. little bird? Yeah, yeah, it expects its mother to feed it, but the mom's yes. like, you got to do this yourself now. Got to learn it like, on your own. It was that, I think that was Moana. Maybe it was a Pixar one, though. I can't remember. It's a great, it's a great short, although I know. No, it's very about. well done. And the, mm. the visuals are just perfect. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Telling a story like so, so perfectly. I often enjoy those shorts more than the movies themselves. You have in, in both of those examples, you have like an entire character arc. Yes. Yes. You have a character yeah, with who starts the initial here. conflict and then, yeah, yeah, exactly. An entire arc, like our logo up there. <laughs> yes. Uh, exactly. Exposition, rising action, climax, falling. We have a whole arc for this character yep. in so short with no words at all. And that's just shows you the power of like the communicative power, the amount that you can say without language. And I think it's very easy as writers to fall into this idea that I have to use the words to, you know, usually writers, they, they like language. I, I, in particular, I love language. I think language is beautiful and I love to read like older uh, language that was uh, yeah. like the vocabulary was a lot larger and there's all yep. these different ways to express ideas by not using kind of just the same words in repetition, but there's this word for it that's a little bit different in context. It, it's a little stronger. And also if you use this, it means something just, just slightly different, right? There's almost like uh, a gradient of that core concept that you can Describe by using a different word, right? Mm-hmm, so yeah. there's there's definitely a lot of merit to using language in poetic ways, in artistic ways, to to communicate something. But it's still very true that we can get caught up in that and not realize that the primary method by which we communicate is not really with language. Not yeah. really. We're talking to each other all the time, but we're not really getting the message across with the words as much as not we are nearly with as the much. other yeah. things. Not as much as you think <laughs> you are. And so stepping back and and realizing how much of those stories we've been talking about 
are are gotten across without words is really kind of inspiring to say like okay I should I need to take a step back here I need to evaluate the dialogue I've written and say I don't need to say this this and this I can describe the facial expression and that would be even more powerful or be made even more clear and and of course if you're doing it in a visual medium like a video game or a movie just have the actor like Casey was saying bobbing up and down in the ocean and just staring with that expression i don't think he blinks that whole and time you That's know the other thing. what he's the, the, the um <laughs> the uh oh what's the word what's the word like the uh not the beat like the frequency of how often somebody blinks that in of itself tells you something about what they're trying to tell you it, it's it, people feel a little weird when somebody stares at them without blinking for a long time right even if they're in a conversation and the person's looking and yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And no blinking. And it's like, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Uh, we lost you there, Kaysen. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. We got, we got most of what you said. It cut out um, when he was talking about not blinking. Uh, Faze Venia says, not sure talking back-to-back is nonverbal. Um I'm not sure what I said to suggest that, but uh, yeah, uh, obviously uh, speaking is nonverbal. Um, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that it is uh, nonverbal communication. Even when you are speaking to someone, is about the expression of the face and the body language and stuff. So I, I don't know. I don't know what I said, but if if I suggested that, then yeah, that's wrong. Um, does he think he's coming back? No, I thought he was coming back. Oh, there he is. So you had you cut out around the time you were saying not blinking? Yeah, so um, when people talk and they're not blinking, right? Mm-hmm. Like this. And they're just talking. Hey, how are you? Are you doing good? Well, that's super nice. To- <laughs> Where it's <are> you- unsettling. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, but if you're just blinking... It, I don't know. It's it, it, but even if you blink too fast, like if somebody's like, "Hey, how, oh crap, we're losing." How are you doing? Again. Like this much, right? Okay, you're back. You're back. Sorry about that. But even blinking fast, it yeah. kind of does the same thing, right? Yeah. When somebody talks weird. and they're blinking really fast, it's like, whoa, like something's wrong, right? Because mm. it's breaking the eye contact too much. So you you don't want too much blinking. You don't want too little blinking. There's like a Goldilocks zone sweet spot for blinking <laughs> that otherwise, if you aren't in that zone, you're you're communicating something. Maybe not even intentionally, but you are it, it is part of the communication. So even something as subtle as blinking frequency, I think is something that just greatly impacts a conversation that people have. And it should be used more in like movies and books, I think. Um, the frequency of blinking, people don't use that very often, but I think they should because that's huge. Yeah. Uh, Faze Venia says, uh, I was responding to Chai Guy. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Okay. Oh, um, but did you go over some of the comments? Cause some people rec- had some recommendations for you. Uh, let's um, see. What did they say? So Chai Guy says, or no, here it is. M M one H says, mm. have either of you played King's bird? It started oh. a while ago and the dialogue is nonverbal and it almost sounds like the characters are humming a melody. Interesting. So King's, King's bird, bird is something you might want to look into. Mm-hmm. And then Faze Venia talks about Mr. Bean. Which yeah, touch on comedy because Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton. I mean, they're silent comedy, 
is Buster Keaton's a great example. Yes, it's an art form, and and they got really good at it. But um, you know, comedy I think is just a little bit different than where we're where we were taking this conversation. Um, comedy can clearly be done without words, but it's a little harder to tell a story without words. So. Mm. I'm looking at the King's Bird here on Steam. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me of um, Gris a little bit. If you guys have heard oh. of Gris, uh, same like 2.5D sort yeah, of style, like platformer. Oh, it looks beautiful. It also and reminds it, me of that Ubisoft, um, that Princess of Light. I think they called it. Yeah. Oh, uh, what is it called? Uh, Child of Light. Yeah. Child of Light. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of that a little bit too. Very interesting. I'll have to look into that. This would be cool. Uh, thank you for the suggestion, Em. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So anyways, um, Kason's got some stuff he needs to run to. So it's Easter. Happy Easter, everybody. Let's I got family stuff it, to do. <laughs> leave it off there. There are just a couple of community stories. If you need to bounce, feel free to do so. I'm just going to go over them quickly. Okay. Um, um, I did check them out, though. So, all right, guys. Okay. I got to go. Peace. Later, man. Later. Okay. Community stories. This one comes from Juan Soto. JRPGs are often criticized by Western fans for having too many words, scenes where every character has to say something, long explanations, tell versus show, etc. Is this because the writing is not the priority with JRPGs or because of a cultural difference between English-speaking countries and Japan? You know what? This actually brings something to mind that I searched the other day as a joke. Um... Hayao Miyazaki uh, anime, it was a mistake. <laughs> right? People mistakenly quote him for saying uh, anime was a mistake. Uh, he didn't really say that. But what he did say goes along the lines of what I've been talking about here. I think that JRPGs and anime suffer, suffer from the same problems when it comes to the way that they're written <clears throat> with, with what um, Juan Soto is describing there um, as being problematic to a lot of Western fans. What, what he said was, actually, let me just put this on screen and kind of zoom in on it. Uh, it's not working. Anyways, this part. You see, whether you can draw like this or not, being able to think up this kind of design It depends on whether or not you can say to yourself, oh yeah, girls like this exist in real life. If you don't spend time watching real people, you can't do this because you've never seen it. Some people spend their lives interested only in themselves. Almost all Japanese animation is produced with hardly any basis taken from observing real people, you know? It's it's produced by humans who uh, can't stand looking at other humans, and that's why the industry is full of otaku. Um, this is uh, apparently where he's sourcing this from. So if anybody wants to, um, this is, I think what it's being translated from, but to me, that is, that is the major problem. Um, as I was thinking about this topic this week, dialogue that comes across as feeling weird or awkward or, or unrealistic I think a lot of times you can point to the fact that 
were that that it the the writer is relying on the words rather than on genuine real observation of how people communicate and when you really observe how people communicate again i think that so much of it is in the subtext it's in the way the person ex- furls their brow when they say it it, it, it on the way that they move or the lack of movement or how loud or quiet or how passionately or reservedly they say it tone inflection body language facial expression movement all of those things to me are more important than the words being said those things communicate the person the way a person feels whereas often will say will say words that are in conflict with that and i think that a lot of anime well at least according to hayao miyazaki <laughs> um lacks that sense of like genuine observation of people it does these people who are writing these stories do not really get how people in the real world interact with each other and they're they're writing without that sort of knowledge from observation so i think that that's probably what the the problem is there um anyways thank you juan soto um there was also a this isn't a question so much as just a um do, 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 uh, a comment on this from dude mcguy i want to go over this i don't have a question so much as a comment or contribution it may or may not be useful depending on where you go with the topic you don't have to read this whole thing on the podcast well i'm going to anyways when i read the question I think of visuals, audio, and interaction gameplay. I want to make a point on the last one. When we look at storytelling in video games, I'm going to put this over here so I'm not looking away. When we look at storytelling in video games, I think that telling the story through the gameplay and player interaction is usually the most effective and important tool to that end, more so than storytelling through visuals, music, or writing, though those things are still important. In other words, if the purpose of the story is to convey an idea or emotion to the player, then that idea or emotion should be conveyed to the player through all aspects of the experience. But gameplay is the most frequent way to engage, or we engage with a video game. We generally spend most of the total hours focused on playing a game rather than reading or passively watching, listening to them. So with that in mind, I'd like to bring up an example from Final Fantasy XV for how to tell a story without words. We criticize FF15 a lot in the Resident Art community, so I think it's good to give the game some credit when appropriate. Um, he gives a spoiler warning here. I haven't read this yet. Um, spoiler warning for FF15 chapters 9 and 10. If you have not played that yet and you plan on doing so, uh, he's, he's giving a spoiler warning, so I just want to make sure that's clear. In chapter 10 of Final Fantasy 15, the group is on a train headed for Tenebrae. Uh, morale is really low, is at a really low point here, uh, as Luna was killed and Ignis became blind a few weeks earlier. The train stops at a station called Kartanica, where there's a dungeon that needs to be completed. Before you go there, you have the opportunity to eat a meal on the train, but your only option is a lousy cafeteria food plate that gives you very poor buffs compared to what Ignis would be able to cook for you if he could. That is fascinating. I don't even remember that. I don't think I ever picked up on that. That's interesting. 
As you progress through the dungeon, Ignis tries to help the party, but he is ineffective and struggles with his new handicap, and his animations and slow movement speed show how much he struggles to keep up with Noctis and the others. There's tension between the group, and Noctis, the player, is criticized if they try to progress at a normal pace. Later, you come to a campsite in this dungeon, and if you choose to camp there, you'll have a somber version of the normally upbeat camping theme. The acoustic guitar has been replaced by a very slow and low-pitched electric guitar, which sounds like it's either struggling or almost unwilling to play the normal melody. All of the recipes that the player has collected are unavailable as Ignis is unable to cook them. Perhaps he could try, but no one wants to ask him due to the circumstances, leaving you with the options of warming up a can of beans or cup noodles. A regular event that is normally a cheerful bonding experience for the group now has them sitting in silence with their heads down or looking away from each other. Noctis even dismisses Prompto's offer to look over the photos they would, as they normally would. This is pretty good stuff here. Nearly everything the player has grown accustomed to in the normal gameplay loop has been disrupted in order to convey the feelings of sadness, frustration, and past the point of no return to the player. <clears throat> the music is sad and slow. The environment is dark and swampy. There is uh, no more cheerful banter. A loyal party member can no longer contribute effectively. <clears throat> Excuse me, I something in my throat here. There are no good friend or no good food options to buff the party. No place to sleep for an ex uh, experience multiplier. The open world has been taken away, and the character that once drove you across the map now impedes the pace of your progress. By limiting and removing the player's options, the game does a complete reversal from the first eight chapters to really drive home the feeling and convey uh, it's trying to convey. Um, I'm just going to stop there for now, but that is a, a fantastic example, uh, Dude Mackay. A really good example of telling, telling the story through the gameplay. It's really unfortunate that I don't remember that. Um, I don't think I tried camping at that place, which is too bad, because <laughs> um, I do agree. That is a really, really great way, you know, taking something the players become accustomed to and then taking it away, especially under these circumstances, is a great way to tell the story without words. That's a fantastic example. I really like that. Um... Lastly, Daniel Imperial asks, what are some of the best examples of environmental storytelling that you've seen? Journey, Hyperlight Drifter, um, Final Fantasy VII. I've talked about that a lot with the Nibelheim incident with Sephiroth. And then like uh, when after you get past the, the Zalem, Right. Initially, when you play the game, you're you're driven to catch a chocobo and run past it, and you run past it, and then the zalem is spiked on the on the just the you know the tree. Um, examples like that, I felt, were very good environmental ways of telling the story, showing us how powerful Sephiroth is, rather than telling us. Um, and that that one that um, that. Uh, was just brought up by Doom McGuy is a really good example too. I think that's actually pretty brilliant. But um, in, in, in terms of just strict environmental storytelling, um, I really, really like Journey. The way that Journey does it through its murals, which you kind of have to seek out. They're like secrets. You go and find them and you can kind of get more context for the story. Um, so Journey is probably my favorite example. Um, okay, I think that's it. Let me read some comments here. Uh, we got Chocula Ultra says, ooh, on the topic of anime being made by people who 
seemingly are antisocial, there's this 40-minute interview with Hideaki Anno, director of Evangelion, and there's this bit that really struck me. He sort of says he hates the art he makes that reminds him of himself. That's that's deep. <laughs> uh, Faze Venia says, I feel like most female characters in anime are poorly written probably for this reason. I agree. Um, it, it's one of the biggest problems I have, for instance, with Xenoblade 2. I just... I can't stand the way the female characters are written in, in Xenoblade 2 or the way they're designed. Chocula Ultra says, I see a lot of female anime characters to be animated, uh, the animated equivalent of the whole manic pixie dream girl trope that's been uh, shitting up Western media for the past decade. Uh, he says, poorly written, just a bunch of quirky tropes thrown together, no real character arc or development, etc. Waifu material bait. Um, I didn't even notice the music beats during that part with Ignis or the banter deep insight right there says Chocula Ultra I agree that was really really uh, poignant insight from Dune McKay there I really liked that Faze Venia says the spiked Zalem was possibly the most effective moment in video game storytelling for me dude I'm with I'm with you that and Sephiroth killing the dragon in one swipe of his sword those two things in tandem with each other did more to, 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 for me to feel the impact of how powerful Sephiroth is than anything they could have said in the dialogue. It was just like, holy crap, this dude's powerful, right? That, um, that idea was conveyed way more powerfully through showing me those things than through anything they could have said. Uh, we got Vesalius here who says, Inside is another great example. Inside, is that a game? Inside. Gotta look it up. Inside is a puzzle platformer adventurer game developed and published by Play Play Dead. Is that the one you're talking about? If so, I'll have to look into that. Seems pretty cool though. Uh, M says I had another recommendation about a game with nonverbal communication that might have gotten lost in the chat. Florence. Uh, it's for mobile. It's pretty short. Let's take a look at that. Florence. Is an interactive story and video game developed by Australian studio Mountains and published by Annapurna Interactive. The game was released in February 2018 on iOS and March 14th for Android. Okay, Florence, The King's Bird, and Inside. Three games for us all to look into this week (laughs) that are great examples of telling the story without words. So if you'd like to try any of those three out, I think those are all great examples. Of course, feel free also to open your Final Fantasy XV file again, which I think I'm going to do, and go back to that part and and do that campsite, because now I'm really interested to see how that all unfolds. Uh, Phase Vania says, yeah, especially because I got wrecked by the Zolom like 10 times before I figured out I needed a Chocobo. That's exactly right, too. Because they don't, like, directly say, go catch a Chocobo, don't even try fighting this thing. They let you wander in there and fight it and die first and go, holy crap, I can't beat that. Of course you can if you really understand it, but at this point you're not supposed to. The player's knowledge of the materia system is at level 10, right, alongside the characters being at level 10 or whatever, right? So uh, on your initial playthrough, you're not supposed to be able to walk in and beat the Zalem. It's supposed to be an obstacle that's too great for you, and so you're supposed to go find another way, just run around it. And then you see that freaking Sephiroth just impaled and spiked that, that same monster, and it's just like, oh, crap. Okay, 
That's it for today's podcast. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We appreciate your support. And uh, we will see you again next week. Peace out. Thank you.